Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I have Chris Hartshorn with me. Chris is uh, the regional home missionary of the Presbytery of Southern California. And many of you may know Chris. He was also the church planter in Southern California in the Anaheim Hills area. When you spend time interviewing those candidates uh, coming in for the Committee on Home Missions and as you uh, probably interact in a smaller way with groups that are looking for men, do you think, do you have in your mind, is there a difference in a man being called to plant a church in terms of outreach and evangelism focus? Are you looking for anything different in a man as you try to help them understand what they're embarking on versus a man being called to an established particularized church? Is there some subset of gifts and graces that you're either absolutely looking for, hopefully looking for, or is that not really a distinction that needs to be looked at? That's a great question and a conversation that we've been having with men on the denominational committee for for years. And I am I'm strongly persuaded that there are there are uh, gifts and graces. There are certain abilities that church planners have that you don't necessarily need to lead a, a particularized congregation, an older congregation that's kind of in need of someone who gets up and preaches on Sunday morning, Sunday night. You know, does Sunday school perhaps? Uh, does some you know some counseling and different things in the church? I, I think that uh, our church planters really need to be. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna say that those guys that pastor particular churches shouldn't be doing the things that I'm going to describe right now. But there's just something, I think, innate within our church planners, at least most of them, that they just, they want to be out and about in the community. They want to be talking to people that aren't yet in the church about the church and inviting them to come in. And I, I think, I mean, th- this goes back to my 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 background with <clears throat> with Calvary Chapel, where and I've said this all kinds of different places in all kinds of different conversations, but I, th- I think in Calvary Chapel, and I think it's changing now because the guys that have been pastors are older now, and so there's different guys stepping into their roles. But for a really long time, if you wanted to be a pastor in Calvary Chapel, you needed to start a church. Like if you wanted to preach on a Sunday morning in the pulpit, like you needed to start with zero people and gather a church. And I think that's a really healthy thing to be able to do, to be able to go out to the playground with your kids, which is a great tool. You know, that's the way we started in Lawrence, Kansas. Like we're going to go, like Josiah's really little. The girls are really little. They need to go out into the playground. So we're going to go talk to parents that have little kids and invite them to Bible study, invite them to church. My wife's going to go teach so- uh, coach soccer at Lawrence High School. And we're going to talk to parents and, and families at, at Lawrence High about the church. Uh, we're just going to coffee shops. There's a Christian coffee shop downtown. We're going to go, I'm going to go study there and, and talk to people about where, where they go to church and what they're doing or if they go to church. I, I think that to be a pastor in Calvary Chapel, you you evangelize. You invite people, you talk to people about Jesus. 
you invite them into your home, which is where you start. They might send you out with 500 bucks a month. You go get a job. You invite people into your apartment, your house, your living room. You open up the Bible. You tell them what the Bible says. You tell them what the Bible means. You tell them how the Bible applies to their life to such an extent in such a positive manner that they'll come back to that really awkward situation environment the next week and bring their friends. And you and you get feedback right away, right? If you're a good teacher of the word, if you're a good preacher, they'll come back. And if they if if no one comes back, then you kind of instant feedback there. I, I must not be doing this very well. And I, you know, in Calvary Chapel, they tried to be really faithful to the word of God. They they didn't try to, you know, adulterate it. They didn't try to so it was like straightforward. You know, it was like, this is what the word says. This is what the word means. And this is how it applies. And so, um, I just think that you you have to be able to evangelize to be a church planner. And, the, and then it's interesting because guys that come over from Calvary have some good success in our Reformed churches. And I think that's why, because innately they know something clicks on and they know that I have to go talk to unbelieving people to make them into believing people. Obviously, God being ultimate and all of that. But Paul talked about winning some, you know, that I might be coming all things, that I might win some. And, you know, that's what I think we all need to have as those that are involved in church planning is that desire to win the lost. And that paradigm is massive. We're not looking for a population shift from one church to another. Like we we don't, we, we don't, we shouldn't get excited about our church growing because a church in town closed down and we got 50 new people. When like, look at what we're doing. We're amazing. Like we should be thinking about unconverted people that have never been in church before, people that have left the church, people that are in cults, joining along with Christians that have been in the church for a long time, but in large part growing through not transfer growth, but conversion growth. And I, I, th- I think that's what we're seeing in our church planners. I think that's what we need to see in our church planners. I think our, I think pastors of our local churches should be able to, over particularized congregations, should be able to talk to community people in the community. I think that's important. I think they should be able to tell them about Jesus in, in the grocery store, in the park, at a, at a party, at a block party. I think that's important. But really, to me, a church planner, that needs to be their main thrust. Like they need to be continually out there on a regular basis talking to it, it, it's who they are, you know, it's what they do. It, they go to a community, they move into it and they kind of assess it. Like who can we reach and how can we reach them? And I, I think we're seeing that. I think I want to continue to say that's the kind of person we want in our church plants, not only in Southern California, but in our, in our denomination, as we look for church planners around the country. So that's that's at least my thought on that. I give you another example. I think we have uh, Roth Reason is coming out from Pennsylvania uh, to to be stated supply in Yuma, and that that's what the plan looks like is going to unfold. And uh, Roth uh, has come out; he's going to come out again. But I I came out. Roth came by himself a couple maybe a month ago, six weeks, a few weeks back, and I was able to drive down on Saturday night. I picked him up on Sunday morning, took him to church, and then we kind of spent the day and the afternoon together and did a bunch of things in Yuma on Sunday as he uh, preached the morning service, led worship and stuff. And so, he got there on Friday. He flew in, and he'd already been for a couple of jogs down by the river. He'd already already been to the downtown area, and he'd already 
been involved in an exercise class in the downtown area with people in like one day, in like a day and a half. Like that's the kind of guy for me, when I hear a guy like that, that that's the way he wants to interact, that he's gotten pushback at times because he spent too much time with unbelievers. To me, that's a beautiful thing. That's exactly what we want. And you see him in the church and he preaches in a very, he's very good, very strong in his preaching, very good in the way he leads worship, which are certainly important things. But to me, that that peace in the community, that peace of, I want to be around people. For Roth, it's like, hey, listen, all these people have um, all these different ways that they go about things. They're, they're in error because they're missing the true and living God. And what they ultimately want and long for and don't know how to find yet is Jesus. And that's what I want to, that's what I want to point them to. That's what I want to take them to. That, that's the kind of thing I think is gold. And we want to find more guys like that for our church plants. So that, in my mind, raises two kind of important questions that lots of people may benefit from thinking about and, and hearing a conversation about um, the, the way you just described it. I guess the first one, first question that comes to mind for me is the men that come in with that desire and with the kind of characteristics you're talking about, they need to have the time and flexibility and encouragement and support to go do that because not all of that happens in 10 minutes here and there. Sometimes there's, you know, some considerable time. And, you know, when we're all in seminary, we hear 15 to 20 hours per sermon you should be putting in. And then, you know, we're going into a church that's got two, two sermons to prepare. You may be doing a Wednesday night Bible study. You know, you're the only guy there. You may be doing Sunday school. It kind of raises that question about, you know, what the core group looks like in terms of leadership and teaching help and, you know, a, a broader sense that this guy, you know, as we say, being called to be an evangelist, I mean, a church planter, his call is to be an evangelist. Are, are you trying to implement, are you guys in your presbytery talking about ways to not let men out there kind of on their own preaching two sermons, two Bible studies, you know, all of a sudden they've got 40 hours of preparation so that they can be more a part of the community and emphasizing that, or is it just working out naturally? I think that uh, in the in the works that have just one guy, uh, I think that we want to say. I, I don't think I'm trying to think of any of our. We don't have two worship services. I don't. I don't think in any of our missions in our mission works. I think what we want to say is actually Providence does have two services, but they'll but they have other guys that can that can do the work. In the works where we have one guy on the ground, uh, it's just a Sunday morning worship service and it's a Sunday evening get together or a Sunday evening Bible study, something that takes less time to put together for the for the church planter. Uh, I think Eric Watkins was was really strong on this and has has had some some good thoughts on this over the years. Just to say to a guy that you, you're going to go in and plant a church and spend 30 plus hours on sermons. And then there's going to be administrative things. There are going to be session meetings. There's going to be counseling. There's going to be Presbytery stuff that comes up. It's just impossible. Where, where are you Where are you going to get the time? And so I think we want to get other people involved. And certainly we're trying to do that in our various mission works. We're trying to get other potential candidates to be uh, elders involved we're trying to get guys from other churches to come in and 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 uh, preach occasionally and and lead services. If somebody from the denominational committees is in town, give a guy a break by having you know John Shaw or Danny Ollinger, somebody come in and 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 preach that week and give them some space to do other things. But we certainly don't want to overwhelm 
our men. We certainly don't want to have it where they don't have time for their families or don't have time to do anything outside of the study. And I think our churches need to, our church plant congregations need to understand that as well. What we're doing here is trying to grow from something that's very small to something that's more substantial that becomes self-governing and self-sustaining, self-propagating these things that we're looking for, that we have our own elders, that we have enough money, that we're growing by our own efforts to evangelize and and reach new people and and see our own children professing faith and even start new churches. That's that's not something that just happens from teaching a bunch of Bible studies or having a bunch of worship services. And I think sometimes if if we're thinking about this, we can think the church is just a place where there's informational transfer. It's kind of an information dump or download and we just need a bunch of those every week. And it's it's not just that. It's much more than that. It's uh, it's it's relational, you know. There's there's um, there's doctrine and there's there's worship, but there's also relationships. There's that that koinonia. There's that fellowship that Scripture talks about. I, I think I've actually come to appreciate that more now than than I used to. The relational aspect of the family of God, the body of Christ coming together and spending time together more than just being in a Bible study or just being in a worship service or just serving in some capacity where we're not spending time together. That just that face-to-face, we sit side by side and worship and we worship together in that sense, but we're we're side to side, we're we're, you know, shoulder to shoulder. But that time where we spend it face to face is really, really important. So just to have, you know, to me on a Sunday night a, a fellowship meal. Maybe there's a time of prayer. Uh, maybe there's a, a brief word from the pastor, whatever, but there's a time of just eating and sitting around tables together as the church of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't take a ton of preparation from the church planner. It's just an or- somebody puts on the organizational thing and, and gets people together in a place and we all eat together. Everybody loves to eat good food and uh, it makes people happy. They're in good moods to talk together. And so, yeah, I never want to overwhelm a guy with just a, a church planner with just doing too much study and then teaching and preaching. Uh, there are other things that are really important for him to be doing. And we also want to teach our congregation, going back to that, like teach them that this is what we expect from them, uh, this outreach and this work outside the four walls of the church. And then second question that comes to mind, or a second topic that comes to mind, I'm still thinking about this more robust view of the church planter yeah. readily being out in the community, yeah. seeking to bring people in would be this. I I could be wrong on this, but my sense is that a common view of Reformed church planting, confessional church planting, would be first, get the solid core group of OPC Reformed people, because you need a strong base, you need leaders, you need people who understand Reformed theology. Then, once you have that, that group goes out to bring outsiders in to evangelize. What you're describing seems to me that a core group could go out. From day one, they would be including outsiders into the formation of that core group. Not core group first, strong, reformed, everybody's confessional, now let's go out. But rather, a core group is forming, of which some are really strong confessional reformed people, some of which don't even know what church is. Am I am I connecting that correctly in terms of how you think about raising up a core group, that it's Reformed and non-reformed and outsiders and skeptics all being part of that forming of that core group as the Lord would work? Yeah, I think it depends. I mean, I think with Anaheim Hills, we started our core group, there were there was not a single reformed person in the core group. 
And I, I mean, I started teaching the shorter catechism and explaining these doctrines and uh, the people jumped on board. You had, you know, previously unconverted, unbaptized people. You had uh, broadly evangelical people, people that were occasional at church, etc. And as time went on, we saw more reformed people coming in and people, you know, showed up from various places. But that was never our intention was to gather a, a large group of of reformed people than to, to go do the work. Now at, at Providence North Scottsdale and in, in God's Providence, that group started as a as a core group of reformed people. And then they went out and started reaching unbelieving people or broadly evangelical people that were looking for more. And that church has grown from that model, doing it that way. So for me, I'm not really looking for any particular way to do it. I'm looking for the way that presents itself. And we can kind of work with anything, but I don't. I don't have any kind of problem with starting a group with um, people from different backgrounds, unbelieving people, people that are just really baby Christians. To me, that's a great way to start. I uh, embrace that kind of uh, beginning. Uh, but if there's a strong group that's ready to go and wants to be a church, praise the Lord. And and we're just we're trying to be flexible with the way that that God wants to do things and. Uh, yeah, so it works different ways, and I don't think one way is right or wrong. If I could shift gears a little bit, Southern California Presbytery, you've got Phoenix, you've got San Diego, you've got LA. I had the opportunity years ago, a few years ago, with your predecessor, Dave Crum, yeah. to be out there and kind of doing a little bit of work. I know the, I know your Presbytery's thought about LA in particular being one of the largest cities in America. You've got James Lim and his church out there in Long Beach. You've got Paul Vigiano in Torrance. You've got Anaheim. You know, you've got a lot of churches skirting there. You've been thinking about it. Now that you're two years in, where does Los Angeles, urban, OPC church planning, not ringing cities, not that there's anything wrong with that, but we, like, it's not, it's not a surprise that the OPC has been talking about, well, a lot of big cities, we ring the cities, but we don't necessarily do as well getting into the actual metro area. Where do you stand on that? Have you had time to even think about that yet? What's the Presbytery at large thinking? And, and how, do you, how do you think about what you're doing in such a vibrant urban setting that isn't just saying, hey, we need an OPC church. We need a reformed confessional church in this city. I've thought about cities a lot. I think that you can you know you can look at a map of, of our presbytery you can look at the way California looks San Diego or Los Angeles yeah you're exactly right we're we're around it now we need to now we need to jump into it I I love doing I you know I spent four and a half years in East Harlem and uh, I know you spent time in in New York City as well city ministry is a different animal and I I always go back to the fact that we have to me we have in the Reformed Church we have the clearest and, and most faithful representation example of what the Bible teaches. And I'm, I'm, so that's why I'm, that's why I'm here. You know, that's why I'm in the OPC. Uh, I believe that to be the case. I looked around, I did my research. I didn't just fall, I didn't just fall in here. So I think that's really important as we think about the church, like we have what people need. And part of our job, you can look at it from this perspective, is to show them, is to teach them though they don't know like a lot i think a lot of times we can say well they don't want what we have so we don't like them or whatever and we get angry it's like no our job is from this perspective to go to them and show them the truth and show them why they need to embrace the truth why they need to turn from their ways 
that are inferior and turn to these ways that are vastly, massively superior. You need to turn from your idols and your gods, little g, and turn to the true and living God. This is what you ultimately need and on some level know you need, just to have no idea where to find. It's right here. And so, as we think about doing inner city ministries, I mean, this is the kind of thing that we need to go in and be aware of. Like, we have what they need. We have the truth that they were created to embrace, understand, and live in light of. And we can go in and do that. And so, again, we go back to the, the pain line. We, we go in to think about the difficulty of, of, of sacrifice, laying aside ease and comfort in these different things. We're going to need some men and some wives that support these men to take their families into these places that wouldn't be kind of ideal situations. And they need to go hunker down. They need to go live there. It's not like we're dropping, we have a gospel blimp and we're just dropping tracks over the city and kind of working from 50 miles away. We need the type of person in the OPC that's going to go in to various neighborhoods in Los Angeles and say, I'm going to live here and I'm going to love these people and I'm going to bring the gospel to them, whether they embrace it or reject it. And, you know, we have foreign missionaries that are doing that. We have foreign missionaries that are going around the world and willing to give of themselves and be in these different situations that are uncomfortable and and difficult places to be. And, and we just need... Uh, men that are willing to go in and do this kind of work in our cities. And again, be thoughtful about the way that we're bringing the message to bear in those places. Be thoughtful about, you know, another way that I like to think about things is it's easy to be sender oriented, you know, just to think about a message that we share, whether it be a sermon or a Bible study or a or an evangelistic presentation on a street corner. It's really easy to talk from my perspective to people and have no thought of what they're thinking or how they're receiving what I'm saying. But we need people that can go in and be receiver-oriented, to be able to think about the people that they're ministering to, to people about, to think about the people that are living in those communities and you know their experience in life and be able to speak, bring the gospel to bear for them and, and make it to make sense to them and their condition and their situation. And they just live alongside of them, you know, just live with them and and care for them on an ongoing basis. And I think we can do it. I mean, I, I'm sure there are men out there. I think part of it will be convincing some men from that are heading in other directions to come into the OPC and, and be a part of that. But we, I think we have to do that work. Um, I think that we, we can't just forsake the cities. Uh, we can't just forsake the places that from a kind of a, a just kind of a 30,000 foot view are people are leaving there. People, it's hard. And so we just say, oh, well, forget it. No, we need to go where everyone's kind of running out. We need to be willing to run in. I mean, that's what the church has historically done. And I think that's what we need to be doing in our day. Like we need to be, where are those guys? We need to be praying for those guys and then looking for those guys that are that are going to say, where are the hardest places to go do ministry? I'm in, you know, sign me up. And, you know, if, if guys hear that and they're ready to go, give me a call because I'll, I'll, I'll put it together we'll find a way to do the ministry. I'll come alongside and help you do it. Um, I'm actually thinking when my kids are grown, you know, and, and we have some more freedom, I'd love to move in with my wife and, and go do ministry in, in LA. And just kind of like we did ministry in New York City and East Harlem, go and do without any kind of just get a small place in the city and just go evangelize every day. 
and just do a, a service. I would love to do that in the future if God would open up that opportunity. So I, I'm personally interested in that kind of ministry. I, I would love to just kind of share in some thoughts if it means anything. I don't know what it's worth, but I would love to go spend a few years in in, in the city in San Diego and see a church established in, in inner city San Diego and then go spend um, a few years in LA before I retire in inner city uh, LA and, and just see a church established in both places. But I remember doing ministry years ago in Calvary Chapel. We, we went on like Thanksgiving and we're doing ministry as we would often do. We went down to San Diego and we're doing ministry out of, what was the name of that church? Mike McIntosh's church, his Calvary Chapel church in, in San Diego and just ministering to homeless people all over on the streets and giving them buses. It was really cool. We'd, we'd pick them up on buses and take them back and give them showers and new clothes and food and stuff like that. And just, you know, but you could see the, you can see the baseball stadium just right down the road. And it's like all these well-to-do people that are going to watch sporting events. And then these really downtrodden people and just people in difficult situations just right next door. So, yeah, I think we absolutely need to be thinking and praying about the inner city. And, and I know that there are guys out there that can do that work. We just need to get them in places where they can do it. When you think about that in your presbytery, I mean, you have a busy presbytery just with the works that sort of come to you, the, you know, the works that are being raised up that you don't even really know about. And then all of a sudden you find out there's 10 or 12 people, yeah. and, you know, they want to do that. And you mentioned early in the, in, in this interview, you mentioned, you know, the budgets, you know, kind of shrinking and you're kind of looking at things. It would seem to me that it would be really easy for that urban ministry, like let's take LA or San Diego, even Phoenix that you're thinking about in your press charity, yeah. kind of get pushed out with the urgent, you know, we've got people coming to us. We've got these needs. Are you able, as a presbytery and as a missions committee of the presbytery, are you able to do anything intentional at this point to, to keep that progressing forward for people who are in presbyteries that have cities and are thinking about cities? How can, we, how can we take some of those steps to keep progressing so that it's not just you in 10 years or 20 years you know, going into San Diego or L.A., but can there be something leading up to that and you know, making progress until then? Yeah, I think th I think that I mean honestly right now it's probably a back burner issue for us just because of what the kind of projects that we have going on right now. I mean we're replacing two church planters in the middle of church plants and making transitions to new men and that's there's a lot going on with those now, but as you know every every year the the situation seems to change and I think when there's some time it would be good to to delve into those uh, situations more. I know there's a report on LA that it would be good to look at. I know some recomm recommendations were made. I also think like one of the thoughts that I've had, uh, Jason Vartanian is the new pastor at uh, Benita OPC. Uh, Roger Wagner is just retired after 40 years of faithful ministry at that church and then ministry before that. But I know Jason's really passionate about outreach evangelism and is thoughtful about church planting and working with him. He may have some really good ideas about how to reach uh, San Diego, uh, the other guys in our, in our area down there. So I think just having conversations with guys for the time being, just to kind of keep it on the radar and not let it go away entirely. It, it is, like I said, a back burner issue, but we certainly don't want to lose sight of it. And I think oftentimes our best ideas come from just kind of continual conversations you know, just talking about things, discussing things. Some I, I'm never amazed when some great idea comes out of just 
a series of conversations because it's just kind of the way that God seems to be doing it, at least at least in my life. And so, but it is it is it is terribly important, and um, unfortunately, time is really limited. You guys who are RHMs and, and guys like John Shaw, you get to travel around, you get to see things in the OPC that members of individual churches don't get to see or hear. Wondering if you could share one or two stories over the last couple of years as you've gotten to see what's going on. It could be, you know, a convert, a story about uh, outreach, somebody coming in, or just something that's blessed you. Uh, people, will, people in the OPC will hear this about two months from now, and I'm wondering if you could just share one or two stories of things that have blessed you that you've seen the Lord do through one or two of your churches, so that people who are listening could also rejoice in things that are that God's doing that they don't necessarily get to hear. I think one, the, the, the story that comes to mind right off the top was recently I was in Scott, North Scottsdale, Providence, North Scottsdale, and we were there because we were going to, members of the missions committee, examine the officers and the congregation for fitness to particularize. And there was a, a little girl there that was being baptized, 11 years old. And as I was putting my stuff down before service, she just started talking to me and started talking about her friend. And uh, she was very out, outgoing, very warm, very kind. And, you know, hey, are you going to be involved in my baptism service? And so, it was really cool. And I was like, I don't, I don't think so, but maybe uh, we'll see how it goes. And uh, so, you know, she goes up and baptized and I had, I have a bunch of pictures that I sent to guys on the provisional session. It was really cool. But she was also telling me like, Hey, you know, my mom, my mom, we were going to go to another church. And then my mom said we could go to this church and I was so excited. And so I talked to her mom after the service and I said, congratulations. Cause the mom also came into membership that day. And so I, I was talking to the mom after, and she said, you know, we're from back East and we moved out here to get a new start. It was just the mom and the, and the daughter. And we, we came out to get a new start and we were going to go to this other church, but through different relationships, we ended up here. And my little girl, she loved this church so much and she loved the people here so much that she begged me to come here. And we weren't even reformed, the mom said, but we're we're embracing what's being taught here and you know we we love what's going on here and she said when we came out here our housing didn't work out and our my job didn't work out and she said this church is everything that we have but she said and it's amazing wow and i and i just said to her i said you know what i, I said that's really and i just talked to her like that's really hard um, that things didn't work out with the place to live and the job and stuff like that. But maybe that's a really cool thing, at least in this moment, for you to understand the place of the church in your life, right? The place of the church in your daughter's life. Like this is the most important thing in your daughter's life. This is the, 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 the place where you have family and safety and protection and the church has continued to provide for them, take care of them. Um, they're staying in, um, one of the deacon candidates um, back houses right now in his casita uh, and they're being taken care of right now for the time being. It's just a, it's just a beautiful picture of, of what the church is and what the church is to do. And I, I love the way 
that these folks could come out from 3,000 miles away and just fall in love with this church and be, be provided for and taken care of uh, by this church. And, you know, that little girl's going to grow up and she's never going to forget the way that she felt about the church when she first came. And when everything else went wrong, this went incredibly right. And, um, and that mom's never going to forget how her little girl felt about this church. And so I just I absolutely love that story. Uh, a church that 18 months ago didn't exist. And 18 months ago, they, they, it wouldn't have happened just through the providential circumstances. Like they wouldn't have ended up at another, it wouldn't have happened that way. It's, it's this church at this time where God did this amazing thing for these two people through something that's brand new. As far as any other stories, I mean, there are so many neat stories. I think, you know, it just is a regular on this podcast, Eric Watkins, you know, his sister uh, has had some severe health problems and is a member of Corona Presbyterian Church. And, um, and Eric speaks so highly of Andrew Canavan, the pastor there, and the church for their, how they have provided for his sister in such beautiful and wonderful ways. And, um, you know, that's another, uh, another beautiful story for, for one of our ministers, uh, one of our members of our Committee on Home Missions and Church Extension, to speak so glowingly about this church that's an hour and a half to the north of him uh, and how they've provided for his sister is just a really, really great story uh, as well. Couldn't be a better place to end. Thanks for uh, sharing those stories. I'm sure people will appreciate hearing that and hearing the whole conversation. Thanks for taking your time again, as you always do. You're very generous and, and for sharing these things with us and, and talking to us. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brad. It was great. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.